Hey there, hi there, ho there, NBA Finals enthusiasts. This is Chase Carrico, back with you with Spotlight Impressions, here to discuss Game 4 of the NBA Finals. It didn't look like it a couple games ago, but the Milwaukee Bucks have tied the series up 2-2, sending us back to a Game 5 in Phoenix where the stakes are suddenly very high. The score of Game 4 was 109-103. to Let's get into it. I am mostly glossing over Game 3 of the NBA Finals. I was stuck at work during that game and did not watch any of it, actually, so I'll give you a very quick recap of that one in case you wanted it. The Bucks won 120-100. to um, The Suns had a lead, actually, after the end of the first quarter, but the Bucks really ran away with it in the second and third. Giannis was, again, incredible with 41 points, uh, this time in a victory. Uh, he had 41 points and 13 rebounds. Uh, we didn't get a phenomenal Chris Middleton game, although he did have a pretty good first quarter. We got our best Drew Holiday game, at least on the offensive side of the ball, in quite some time. He had 21 points, 9 assists, 5 rebounds uh, on 8 of 14 shooting, and maybe most importantly, 5 of 10 shooting at the 3-point line. Uh, that those were the real big keys there. Giannis and Holiday were excellent in Game Three, and by the end of the game, really by halftime, it was not very competitive, and the Bucks won by 20, 120 to 100. Then we get into Game Four, which I did get to watch. It started off really slow, really weird start to the game. Uh, the Suns, for the most part, took an early lead. Most of the middle of the game was really competitive, but the Suns got out to a biggish lead. They got up at least nine early on, um, and really for most of the first two or three quarters, it felt to me like the Bucks were playing a weird offense. I didn't like most of what they were doing, and I was surprised to see that they stayed close the entire game. Uh, the largest lead was nine for the Suns, so that happened maybe a couple of times, but I, I just didn't like a lot of what I saw. Early on, they were not using Giannis really at all. It took, I think, like six minutes for Giannis to even have his first field goal attempt. The, but the offense wasn't really even running through Middleton, who ended up having a good game here. Um, it, it just odd. Drew Holiday had the ball in his hands a lot, and I thought he was making a lot of weird decisions. There is a point in the first quarter where Giannis airballed a three, and then ended up getting the ball back after Bobby Portis tried to tip it in and dunking it. And then on the next possession, just walked up into a horrible three again. Uh, so, I mean, two possessions in a row in very, very quick succession, especially with so much time left on the shot clock on the second one. I really don't understand what was going on there. Those were the only two threes that Giannis attempted, so that's probably good news. Uh, otherwise, that it was just a really slow start for both teams. And while the Suns were up nine, it really felt like they should have been up more. The game got really tight for a while, and it never felt like Milwaukee had a lot going through that point. Uh, but then things kind of broke open. 
We'll go over a quick statistical analysis and then talk about what actually happened. Devin Booker was really, really great on the offensive side of the ball in this game. 42 points on 28 shots. He actually didn't make a three. Uh, Might have had some people out there hoping that he would have made more than two and a half of them, but he went 0 for 3 from the three-point line, but was really great otherwise. He got to the rim. He had such nice touch at the rim and in the mid-range. He finished several shots with his left hand. I I was just astounded by the touch that he had with that left hand. But a a lot of stuff going for him right there. He only had two assists, so that uh, wasn't exactly part of his game in this one. But uh, the one who usually gets a ton of assists and who ended the game with seven is Chris Paul. And he had one of the worst games I've seen him probably ever have. He... Ended the game with just 10 points on 5 of 13 shooting, 0 for 2 from 3. He did have those 7 assists, but he also had 5 turnovers, and most of them were very bad, unforced turnovers that just don't seem like Chris Paul. If it weren't for the fact that he's had so many good or great games since then, I would have absolutely bought that this was a Chris Paul returning from just having COVID. He didn't seem particularly aggressive. He missed multiple mid-range shots that usually go in for him. And again, he had all these turnovers. It just seemed like he wasn't in the right headspace. He wasn't in the right physical space. It was an odd game for him. And on top of that, he only played 37 minutes, which that's not an extremely low total, but it felt very low. He played fewer minutes than Booker, who had foul trouble that we'll get into here in a minute. Booker missed a lot of time due to foul trouble and still played more than Paul. He also played fewer minutes than Aiton. That's not incredibly unexpected, although with, uh, like I expect Aiton to play a lot of minutes. I still expect Chris Paul to play more. And he played fewer minutes than Jay Crowder, who, uh, not a phenomenal game from him, but I thought he was one of the best players for the Suns tonight. One of the reasons, one of the few reasons, really, other than Booker, that they were doing well-ish through the first few quarters. Uh, Other couple things that stood out to me on the Sun. So, uh, like I said, Crowder had a solid game. He had 15 points, 3 blocks, 3 steals, 3 assists, 8 rebounds. He went 6 for 7 at the line and 3 for 9 from 3. That that is pretty much his job on offense is to shoot from outside. So nine of his ten field goal attempts being three-pointers is not surprising. Knocking in three of them was helpful, especially he was three for five at one point. So he cooled off towards the end. But early on, his shooting was pretty key for them. And Mikael Bridges only played 26 minutes in this one. Uh, It does seem like he may be doing better at home than on the road. Later in this podcast, I plan to get into the splits there uh, just to kind of analyze that a little bit further because I'm not sure what was going on with Bridges. He's had a great playoffs. He shot three for four from the field in this one, didn't commit a turnover, had five rebounds. Um, I, I thought I didn't think he played particularly poorly, but he, he didn't make much of an impact on this game. I, not one that I noticed, really. Um. Uh, And then DeAndre Ayton, 3 for 9 from the field. So really uncharacteristic, poor shooting from him. But he had 17 rebounds and continued to play pretty good defense. He had 3 blocks. Uh, Thought that was a pretty good game from Ayton in this one. He didn't dominate the game, but he did what you need DeAndre Ayton to do. Um, And then off the bench, uh, most 
glaringly to me, uh, or most obvious. I thought Cam Johnson was really good. Cameron Johnson was four for six from the field, two for four from three, um, came in and had a block in this game. It was a really nice block on a good defensive possession. He was minus nine while he was on the court, so I don't know, maybe his defense was poor, or maybe it just coincided with minutes with some other players who weren't playing well. But I thought, especially on the offensive side of the ball, Cameron Johnson had a good game. And then moving on to the Bucks, Chris Middleton went 15 for 33. That's less than 50%. I'm surprised that it isn't better than it was because I thought Middleton played a truly stellar game. He led the Bucks with 40 points and was a second best on the team, plus 10 on the uh, while he was on the floor. Went 7 of 8 from the line, hit 3 of his 8 three-pointers, threw in 6 rebounds, 4 assists, and a couple of steals with only 1 turnover. Um, and he was good throughout the game. He was the primary offense for Milwaukee in the first half, and he really helped close out the Suns at the end of the game, hitting some huge shots. Giannis, like I said, talking about the first quarter a little bit, just didn't seem like a focal point of the offense. I don't feel like he had the ball as much as he usually does. And even when he had the ball, he was kicking out quite a bit. There maybe even were some points where he was realizing he was getting fouled and decided to pass it rather than shoot it as to not go to the line. He was four for eight from the line today. He did have 14 rebounds and eight assists. So again, he was kicking the ball out quite a bit. Uh, Three steals and two blocks, one of which could end up going down as one of the best blocks I've seen. It wasn't a Game 7 block like LeBron James had against Andre Iguodala and the Warriors, but uh, as far as just difficulty and phenomenalness of the block, that's way up there. And obviously it has uh, not Game 7 factor, but Game 4 of the NBA Finals is pretty high stakes and was a pivotal point in the game. I think the game was tied when uh, Devin Booker threw a lob pass to DeAndre Ayton. wasn't a perfect pass, but it was a good pass that looked like it was going to end up in a tip-in layup or dunk. And Giannis came really back in to contest and block that off of the backboard. Really, really great play that I think sparked them. Kind of like uh, the Cam Johnson block earlier in the game, I think sparked the Suns for a couple of possessions. I think that block really ignited the Bucks, and that was kind of the turning point of the game right there. Because it did look like the Suns might pull it out towards the end. Um, and then, if I don't mention it again, Pat Connaughton had an absolutely awesome game in my opinion. He was the number one Bucks player on off the court plus 21 while he was on the floor today. And that's huge for him. Like Mikhail Bridges on the Sun side, I think Connaughton is playing better basketball at home. He went four for nine, but he hit three of his seven threes, and those each one of those threes felt really big to me. He also had nine rebounds and hit uh, his third three in particular was just really, really big. As I go through and look, um, I want to find exactly when that three happened. Uh, Connaughton hit a three to give them a lead with about three minutes left. So they went up 97-95, and that was their first lead in a little bit at that time. And uh, that was huge. If it wasn't for the Giannis block, uh, which coincidentally Giannis had a block on Chris Paul right before, that would have been the turning point to me. When Connaughton hit that three, I think all the momentum went towards Milwaukee, 
and that that really did play itself out. So uh, I I just thought Connaughton really fought. He tried on defense too. He played 32 minutes, uh, so a little bit more than P.J. Tucker, a lot more than Brooke Lopez. He was the fourth member of the Bucks in minutes. It looks like beyond Holiday Middleton and Antetokounmpo all playing 43. Uh, another kind of stinker game from Drew Holiday. He went 0 for 5 from 3, 4 for 20 from the field. He did have 7 assists uh, and 3 steals, so you like that. He played good defense for the most part, uh, but just too many confusing plays on offense. I thought he took a lot of bad shots, and on top of that, he missed a lot of shots I thought he should have made. His decision-making was just weird the whole night, and I think that's been a trend for him in the playoffs other than that Game 3 where he seemed to kind of get things going. And I'm not sure if that's going to get better on the road in Game 5. So they were able to deal with a subpar holiday performance there. And multiple things that the Bucks had to overcome to win this. They only went 7 for 29 from 3. Uh, Tucker was 0 for 1. Giannis was 0 for 2. Brooke Lopez was 0 for 5. Holiday 0 for 5. Uh, you did have Portis knock in his only attempt. And then, like I said, Connaughton and Middleton went 3 for 7 and 3 for 8, respectively. But aside from Middleton and Connaughton, their 3-point shooting was horrendous today. Uh, so they survived shooting 24% from 3. And they survived Devin Booker <laughs> dropping 42 points on 28 shots. Booker was great on the offensive side of the ball. Those are two things that the Bucks probably did not want to happen, and they were still able to overcome that. So we'll get into some more of the game here. Let's fast forward ahead a little bit here. Uh, going into the third quarter where Devin Booker was just outstanding, really, uh, the Suns didn't pull way, way ahead, but they were ahead for most of the third quarter still. Devin Booker did not miss a shot in the third quarter. He went 7-for-7 seven seven from the field on his way to score 38 points going into the fourth quarter. He did pick up a few fouls in that quarter. I believe he picked up two more in the third quarter to put his foul total up to four. Uh, if anything, I thought the officials were letting them play quite a bit. I thought Holiday and Booker in particular got away with a lot of fouls. Those two were often matched up against each other. So maybe they just in particular were letting that matchup play itself out. But I definitely saw both of those players playing very physically and seemingly fouling quite a bit. And uh, that ended up haunting Booker a little bit because he picked up the fourth foul in the third quarter, and then a fifth foul fairly early in the fourth quarter. And that was an earlier turning point for this game as well. When Booker came out, he was very frustrated and sat several minutes following that fifth foul. He ultimately did not foul out, but that was still very key. I'm always going to be on the side here that... I'm not going to sit my players any long stretches because of foul trouble. To me, it is just a mistake. We saw it, uh, it sounds like, a little bit in Game 3, where DeAndre Ayton got into a little bit of foul trouble, missed a lot of the game, 
And he ultimately ended up not fouling out. He only finished with five fouls the same way as Booker did. But they were outscored so badly while he was on the court that there was really no need to have him in the game at the end because there was no crunch time. I think a lot of the same happened here when Booker picked up his fifth. It seemed very likely that he could foul out, so I understand there was absolutely a risk of not having him in at the end of the game. But they were outscored badly enough while he was out anyway that I think it's just the wrong decision to me. Even if he ends up fouling out, you want to maximize the amount of time your best player is on the court. And while sometimes that's in question, tonight that was not at all in question. Devin Booker was the Suns' best player tonight. It was not Chris Paul by any stretch of the imagination. It was not DeAndre Ayton. It was Devin Booker. And when they pulled him after his fifth foul, at that point, the Suns were up six, and Devin Booker was plus nine while he was on the court. After that, everything went well downhill. The Suns obviously ended up losing. Devin Booker ended up being even for the game. Uh, I think he ended up... I think the Suns were outscored by, by six between him getting his fifth foul and checking out and him checking back in. And at that point, momentum had swung a little bit, and it let Milwaukee come back into the game. Um, I don't know if foul trouble is going to be a key feature going forward, if that's going to be something we have in Game 5 or Game 6 or a potential Game 7, but I think Monty Williams needs to look at that strategy and realize how much that hurt them in these two games. Seems like Milwaukee, there was a good chance, was going to win Game 3, but Game 4 was right there for the taking for the Suns. It felt to me for the majority of the game like the Suns had outplayed the Bucks and were the team that deserved to win. But that, to me, was a big coaching mistake. Um, and not to mention, Booker was out long enough just fuming on the bench that I, I can understand it's quite possible to me that whatever rhythm and momentum he had after having going 7-for-7 seven seven in the third quarter, he started missing shots in the fourth quarter. He wasn't as good coming back, and uh, I could at least argue that some of his rhythm was taken away by sitting him on the bench for that long. Cam Johnson came in and hit a couple of buckets in that time. Cameron Payne had a couple of big shots, but it wasn't enough. There was not enough offense for them while he was out there. And um, while Booker is not known for his defense, he is a solid defender, and I think that gave Milwaukee another thing where they felt like they could target, especially campaign, maybe also Cameron Johnson. But it, just a big moment for them that I think was a mistake and they'll have to look at. Maybe they won't make that mistake again. Maybe they won't have the opportunity to make that mistake again. Uh, I did mention Mikhail Bridges and how he seemed to almost not impact the game, really, in this one. I, there were so many times I noticed that he wasn't out there, and other times when I noticed he was, I was like, oh, I didn't know the Bridges was out there at the time. He wasn't making much of an impact of the game. I didn't see him with the ball in his hands. Um, I didn't notice him making any major defensive plays, which sometimes means he's playing solid defense. He might be in a good deny position or something, but I really didn't notice much from him. I did go in and look at his splits, Weirdly enough, for his career, he's a better shooter on the road. About the same from three, but a better field goal shooter and a better free throw shooter on the road, both for the 
this past regular season and his career as a whole. For the playoffs, it's fairly similar. Um, field goal percentage, he's about 48% at home and 50% on the road. So I think I may be a little bit wrong on this one. The three-point percentage does kind of support what I was saying earlier. He shoots 37.9% in this playoffs from three at home and only 30.3% on the road. So there might be a little something to that, but that's a small enough percentage difference that I think that falls into a pretty reasonable interval. Maybe it's just these finals in particular, but it does seem like he played better in Game 1 and Game 2 than he did in Games 3 and 4. I do personally feel like he's going to play more minutes in Game 5 when they go back to Phoenix and probably also play better. Uh, One last thing that I'll mention before moving on is the difference in these crowds i didn't watch game three again but i definitely heard in some podcasts and from some people who were at the game who said it didn't really feel like a finals atmosphere the suns have not been in the finals in almost 30 years and you could tell this was a hungry excited frenzied fan base in games one and two It seemed like the entire game I heard the crowd. Every time they panned to the crowd, it was just pure excitement. Um, Maybe that's just kind of more of Phoenix is one of the biggest cities in the U.S., fairly young. You've got a lot of excitement and energy there. Um, That might just be the environment versus Milwaukee. Very big city, but it's in the Midwest, not as big as Phoenix. Uh, It's cold there. I don't know. But... I do feel like Phoenix has a bigger advantage at home than Milwaukee does. It's not like Phoenix has an advantage in Milwaukee, but I don't think Milwaukee rides the momentum of their crowd as Phoenix does. I really, in some ways, thought Game 2 was won by the Phoenix crowd because there were multiple runs by the Bucks that looked like they had a chance of coming back, making it close, and potentially winning the game. But inevitably, there would be some big play, the crowd would get reinvigorated, and then the Suns would continue playing better from that point on. I didn't see that as much from Milwaukee most of this game. Uh, It just seemed like a regular game. Yes, I could hear the crowd at different points, and when they panned, they looked excited, but it didn't look any different than if it was game 65 of the regular season, honestly. I did think it picked up towards the end. Uh, But Milwaukee hasn't been in the finals in almost like 50 years, so they're in a similar and actually even more starved situation than Phoenix. But I think it finally took a close home game for them to really start feeling it from the crowd. Uh, There was a point, I believe, yes, it was in the fourth quarter because it was shortly after Booker picked up his fifth foul that Giannis got a steal and had a breakaway dunk and, like, flexed his arms to the crowd to get loud to get pumped up and the fact that and I think they listened but the fact that he was able to do that and they weren't already going wild does not make sense to me so that's something that makes me think I I think there's a very good chance that Phoenix comes in and wins game five because they're going to be able to ride the momentum of their fans so um, I know bucks and six is a popular saying I don't think we're seeing Bucks in six because I I do anticipate the Suns winning Game Five there, but uh, 
We'll see. I, I have to imagine uh, we know definitively that Game 6 is going to be the last home game for this season for the Bucks. Win or lose, whatever happens in the remaining three games. They're not having any other home games aside from Game 6. So maybe they'll get up for that one. Obviously, it'll be huge because it's an elimination game one way or the other. They're either in a situation where they're winning and winning a title or losing and getting eliminated. So Game 6 is going to be huge. Game 5 is going to be pretty pivotal right before that. Uh, But we'll see how those players do. I haven't looked into the numbers, but I also felt like Connaughton for the Bucks felt better. Uh, Seemed to feel a lot more comfortable in Game 4 when I watched them today. Uh, I I would just be shocked to see him hit a massive go-ahead 3 with 3 minutes left in Phoenix. It does seem like nerves have gotten to him even earlier in this game. He was not alone. I felt really the entire Bucks offense was too hesitant. They were taking a little extra time to decide what they were doing. They pretty much all passed up open looks, or Giannis just at times was passive in getting the ball. He let possessions go by where he was pretty much not involved in the offense. Again, very strange, but they pulled it out on the end. Uh, Again, Middleton was great. Made a bunch of baskets early to keep them potentially in the game, and then made two huge baskets in the final 90 seconds. One to tie the game at 99, one to take a two-point lead, and then a fast-break layup off, again, a Chris Paul turnover that was perplexing. Uh, And Holiday got the ball to him for a layup to put him up four, and then he and Holiday iced the rest of the game with free throws. That was the story. Uh, I am... In another way, glad that the Bucks pulled this out because the officiating was weird in this one. Um, even after Booker came back, he very blatantly committed a sixth foul that should have fouled him out of the game when the game was very much in doubt. Uh, he hit Holiday on an entire side of his body, definitely a foul there, and if almost as if he was making sure he was fouling Holiday, he reached around him and grabbed him on the other side. Uh, It was on a fast break, and I I was just absolutely blown away that no call was made. It seemed really obviously like one of those calls where the the officials didn't want to foul Booker out. And I'm on the side that you better make sure that a player's sixth foul is a foul. Don't foul someone out on an iffy play. Don't leave any room for someone's sixth foul coming on a play where they probably didn't actually commit a foul, but you've got to call that. That was ridiculous. I thought that he got away with some fouls earlier in the game that I may not have even mentioned if it weren't for the fact that he should have fouled out with a few minutes to go. Uh, That was wild. I believe Milwaukee ended up scoring on the play anyway. Okay, they did, yes, because Holiday got fouled and missed the layup, but they didn't call it. Giannis tipped it in, and I wondered... (laughs) It would have been the weirdest review in NBA history if they could have done it, but if the Bucks could have challenged that play, they said, no, 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 no. Take away our made basket. Go back and look and tell me that our guy didn't get fouled there, because he did. Uh, I have no idea if that's reviewable, but I think they should have called for a review there if it is, because Booker would have been out of the game. I don't think on review there was any chance they weren't going to call that a foul. Um 
that would have been a pretty ridiculous scenario because Booker did have an opportunity to hit some big shots at the end that could have tied or t- given them the lead in the final 90 seconds or so. So finally, looking ahead to the rest of this series, I picked Suns in six going in. I somewhat questioned that after the first two games. Now that it's tied 2-2, two to two, I actually still feel pretty good about that. We might get a Game 7, but I would not be shocked if Phoenix won the next two games and closed Milwaukee out on Milwaukee's home court. I, I do still lean to think that Phoenix is the... They feel like the better team. I could argue that Milwaukee is the better team on paper, but... There's just too many things that bother me on the Milwaukee side. In this game, even though they won, it really felt like they had some issues. Most of the game, I felt like the Suns were going to win it, and I could argue, while I thought Booker's foul trouble was entirely his fault, I I don't think there were bad calls. I think it was just poor decision-making on his part. His fifth foul, I thought, was very silly, and he really should have fouled out of the game. Uh, if he were not in that foul trouble, I think there's a very good chance that we're looking at a 3-1 series with Phoenix having three shots to close them out. And I've already talked about why I think Phoenix is going to win Game 5. I think the role players are going to be better. I don't think Chris Paul could be any worse than he was in Game 4. I could easily see Booker continue to play well. I don't think Aiton is going to struggle if you can avoid those players getting in foul trouble. Uh, and you might not get that 40-point game out of Chris Middleton in Game 5. He's shown pretty much his whole career, certainly the last few years, that he is very up and down. He's probably, if I had to guess, going to have one up game and one down game in the next couple. Uh, They've already won in Game 1, a game where Chris Middleton was really good. They won in Game 2, a game where Giannis was really good. They, I think, have been the most convincing to me. Games 1 and 2, even though they were close-ish, and Game 2 was very close, it just felt to me like Phoenix was the better team and deserved to win. And like I said, I got a lot of that feeling in Game 4 too. So even though this series is tied, uh, there are a couple reasons why I think Phoenix should be the favorite to win the series. One being that two of the final three games are in Phoenix and they've been great at home. Both teams have been great at home in this playoffs. I think both teams have only lost once at home, actually. Could be missing one if uh, Phoenix dropped one of those games in the Clippers series. But both teams have been very good at home. The home team has won every game in the finals so far. Uh, Just in Game 6, I could see that going both ways. I thought the Bucks were going to win tonight heading into the game. thought the momentum was there for them, but we didn't get an awesome Giannis game, and a lot of that was because we didn't get a lot of Giannis being dominant. And it, to me, didn't seem like he was trying to be dominant. I don't mean that entirely as a knock on him. Maybe it should be a little bit. I'm not sure. But I do get the feeling that Phoenix knows what they're doing more than Milwaukee does. Milwaukee is the team that had multiple defensive lapses in this game that resulted in wide-open layups and wide-open threes. 
Um, while Devin Booker hit a ton of tough contested shots in this game, he also got a bunch of shots where I immediately said, okay, that's going in. Uh, I've seen that with Chris Paul in this series too, even though it wasn't in this game. In the first couple of games, there were plays where I said, okay, that's Chris Paul's shot. He got to his spot. It wasn't particularly particularly contested. That's probably going in. I haven't seen that as much with Milwaukee. They have, in a lot of ways, I think, taken tougher shots. I'm impressed that they've made it this far because I like Phoenix's offense more. And in a lot of ways, I think the defenses are even. I still like Phoenix's defense, even if Milwaukee's is a little bit better. They are, Milwaukee that is, definitely a better rebounding team. Outside of DeAndre Ayton, you don't have any really, really good rebounders. Chris Paul kind of has a nose for the ball. I don't consider Booker a good defensive rebounder. He's picked up a lot of offensive rebounds in this series. Jay Crowder, he's really strong, but he's not always the best rebounder to me. Kind of the same thing with Mikael Bridges. Outside of Aiton, who's been a monster on the boards in this series, I just see, whether it be Lopez or Portis or Holiday or Middleton or Giannis, all of those players, even P.J. Tucker to an extent, are pretty solid rebounders. I think they have an advantage there, but that's the only really big advantage to me. Phoenix is the vastly superior th- uh, free-throw shooting team. Typically, Phoenix is the better three-point shooting team. Phoenix also had a fairly off game from three in game four here. Uh, a lot of stuff points in their direction to me. Um, if I were asked to change my pick for the series, I at this point, I think I would say that the home teams are just going to win out and Phoenix wins in seven, but I don't feel bad about that Phoenix in six pick. Uh, it goes without saying that every game from here on out is the most important game of the series. Game 5 is massive because it forces Game 6 to be an elimination game one way or the other. We just don't know who is facing elimination and who is one game away from the title. And then it doesn't get bigger than Game 7 of the finals, which is very much in play. We're guaranteed a Game 6, good chance of a Game 7. We'll find out. But uh, I feel pretty confident that Phoenix is going to have two cracks at it. I think Phoenix is going to come into game six with a chance to close it out. And if not, they get to come back on their home floor. That, it's interesting. I'm much less confident about game six and seven than I am game five. Because I do feel like Phoenix is going to win that one. But I think Phoenix could go in and win Game 6 in Milwaukee. And then if it comes down to a Game 7, while I would still pick Phoenix, that's where you take out every stop. You might have Booker and Ayton and Giannis and Middleton and Holiday playing 48 minutes in a Game 7. I don't know. Uh, If I were an Apex athlete in a Game 7 of an NBA Finals, I would not be wanting to come out of that game. And uh, Coach Bud has been criticized for not playing his players as a, a ton of minutes, even in big playoff games. He has corrected a little bit in that area in these playoffs. We've seen 40-plus minutes from some of the players. I think it was 43 minutes I said that each of those uh, big three, Antetokounmpo, Middleton, Holiday, played in this game. Game 7, everything goes. Because I think... It may be true in games one and two that the Bucks outscored Phoenix 
in both games when Giannis was on the court. Just outscored a lot when he was off the court. Uh, <laughs> just talking about it makes me hope that we get a Game 7, actually. Uh, so, still leaning Phoenix, but... I'm pretty glad that Milwaukee won these last two just because I think that's going to set us up for an awesome ending. Uh, Someone's legacy is changing a lot. Uh, All of them have already changed some. I think Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Giannis, Middleton, to varying levels, all got a huge bump from these playoffs. Devin Booker probably more than anyone else in my opinion, but... uh, if Chris Paul or Giannis wins a championship and a finals MVP, that's massive for both of them. And then if Middleton can close out a game six or a game seven, uh, while he's still undeniably pretty streaky, I think that's going to force some people to say he's got what it takes to win some games. Uh, and who knows? We still might get a out-of-nowhere performance. We might get Brooke Lopez hitting seven threes. We might get Holiday finally putting his offense together again like he did in Game 3. Uh, Connaughton might hit some shots. We might get another 27-point Mikhail Bridges game. I don't know. I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, <laughs> let's just go. This is exciting. I'm a little disappointed to know we only have two or three games left, but I, I think these two or three games are going to be very much worth it. That's going to do us for another episode of Spotlight Impressions. Be sure to get engaged on social media. Follow Spotlight Impressions on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pod Spotlight, or send me an email if you want to write in with some feedback or anything else you have for me. Uh, that email is spotlightimpressionspod at gmail.com. So until next time, take it easy and enjoy these NBA finals. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>